Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 if you want to start turning there, if you have a copy of scriptures. I just want to read the the entire chapter. We're going to look at uh, the the story of Christmas that Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, you probably know this, but trouble comes to us in all shapes and sizes. Uh, I, I was a mischievous young man. I remember my mom telling me that, you know, I would, she'd pick me up from the daycare and they're like, Chris bit somebody again today. Chris hit somebody. Chris pulled someone's hair. Chris tackled a little girl in the playground. Okay, so that, that was me. And it was like, when I walked in the door, they probably thought to themselves, here comes trouble, right? Some of you have a kid, a kiddo, a grandkiddo, and they just have that mischievous look on their face. And when they walk in the door, you're like, here comes trouble, right? Trouble comes in all shapes and sizes. I know a few things about trouble because I've gotten into some trouble in my life. Maybe you have too. And I found that there's two basic kinds of trouble. There's the first kind is the, the kind that we get ourselves into, right? It's that the, we find our way into it with the things that we say or we do And sometimes we know that we shouldn't say or do those things. And other times we just kind of stumble into trouble. We find our way there. But then the second kind is the trouble that finds its way to us. And some of you know about that kind of trouble. You've walked through that. You've you've had tragedy. You've had the tumor. You've had the turn of events. You've had the, the layoff or the the thing that just shifted the whole course of your life in just a moment. When trouble comes to you, it comes to us in all shapes and sizes. And if you haven't had any major troubles, praise Jesus, but just hold on. Because life has its way of dealing out troubles. Um, If you know about getting into trouble, if you've had lots of troubles, you're gonna really like Jesus because Jesus got into some trouble too. Uh, Jesus got into trouble with, with lost people and religious people, okay? He got it from both sides. Jesus said things and he did things that got him into trouble, that, that brought trouble onto him and things that troubled other people. He uh, ultimately went through the greatest trouble of all of going to the cross for us, but unlike us, he got into trouble for all the right reasons and not all the wrong ones like we often do. And today, I just, as we read this Christmas passage, I wanted to look at it through the lens of trouble. And I, I want to look at the unexpected troubles that we find in the Christmas story. That's the title of my message, Unexpected Trouble. And we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And here's what it says. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them, to, asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. I don't think that was his intention. Verse 9, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was. The star they had seen at its rising, it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Verse 13, we're, we're, we're doing great. Here we go. Verse 13, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he'd been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. By the way, scholars think that there were probably you know, it's a small village, so maybe like 30 to 80 kids that would have been affected by this boys that were two years and old and under. In keeping with the time, he'd learned from the wise men. Then, that was, then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Verse 19 after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream again, right? He withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. It's a crazy story. It's a story full of troubles. I, I'm not sure what Mary had in mind when it came to being the mom of the Messiah. 
And, and I, I have no idea what Joseph had in mind when he thought about being the dad to the deliverer of Zion. But I imagine that they did not have in mind living as fugitives through Jesus's childhood years. The unexpected favor that we talked about last week in our series, the grace of God, right? The unexpected favor. You were highly favored, Mary. Blessed are you. That unexpected favor also came with unexpected troubles. And Jesus was stirring up trouble before he could even ride a tricycle. And so I just, I just want to look at the elements of the story and just kind of point out what's happening in these unexpected troubles and, and what does it reveal to us? And the first one is this. The unexpected troubles in the Christmas story reveal the clashing of kingdoms. I'll say it again. The unexpected troubles in the Christmas story reveal the clashing of kingdoms. So we, we see three kingdoms sort of clashing. The first one is the one that you know is that the kingdom of God was at hand. That's what Jesus said. That's what his, his disciples said after him. The coming of Jesus signals the in-breaking kingdom of God. It is near. It is at hand. And today, the kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus has come. But this inbreaking kingdom of God is met with this violent resistance by the kingdoms of men. We have Herod. And, and Herod is flying into a rage, right? He's, he's deeply disturbed about this one who's born king of the Jews, and for him, trouble took the shape and size of an infant. I mean, why would a Roman ruler be troubled by a toddler? Augustine uh, wrote, of course, he, he lived in the mid-300s to early 400s. And, and here's what he wrote. He said, we see then that the two cities were created by two kinds of love. It's called the city of God and the city of man. This is what he's talking about. The, the earthly city was created by self-love, reaching the point of contempt of God. The heavenly city, by the love of God, carried as far as contempt of self. In fact, the earthly city glories in itself, and the heavenly city glories in the Lord. The former looks for glory from men. The latter finds its highest glory in God, the witness of good conscience. He goes on to write that the kingdom of men is all about control. They want to control what's happening. They're dedicated to control. And it's so interesting to see Herod, who's now, he sees or hears of this child being born of the, the king of the Jews, and it's like he just wants to move in immediately and extinguish his life. It's the kingdom of men. It's interesting to me that when Herod gets the scribes and the chief priests together and he says, okay, where is he going to be born? They say, well, it's in Bethlehem. And what I would think would happen is like, oh, He's born in Bethlehem, and they're saying, like, the king of the Jews has come, they saw a star, so let's go to Bethlehem, right? 
scribes, chief priests. This is exciting. But here's the thing. They don't go to Bethlehem. Magi from the east go to Bethlehem and they fall on their knees and they worship this child. I mean, could it be maybe, just maybe, that the kingdom of men had somehow entrenched itself in the quote-unquote kingdom of God in the Jewish people wanting to dominate through control? And yet we have this exact fulfillment of prophecies. And here's the thing, the sovereign work of God troubles the kingdom of man because you cannot control a sovereign work of God. It's out of our hands. It's something that happens whether we want it to happen or not. It's not controllable. It's beyond our manipulation. And so the kingdom of man and the story brings trouble upon the kingdom of God, this inbreaking kingdom of God. But there's more than that, right? It's not just God and man, and, and you guys know this, that the inbreaking kingdom of God also clashes with the kingdom of darkness. And here's the thing, as modern people living in the West like we do, when we start talking about spiritual evil, we treat it as though it is a superstition, right? We think of people who sweep evil spirits out of their yards with brooms and we're like, that's ridiculous. Evil spirits, all like, like whatever. I, I remember as a young Christian, I've told you guys this before, I'd just come to Christ. I got invited to a Bible study. They're walking through some the old prophets and then, then revelation. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? There's like a devil and demons and an antichrist and end times. Like, I was just kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. But over and over and over again, throughout the scriptures, we see the reality of spiritual evil in the world. Um, and here's what it reveals to us. The kingdom of men is entangled with the kingdom of darkness. For example, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to, get this, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. What? That the prince of the power, the, the ruler of the air, right? Who is that? Satan. Satan, right? And that spirit is now working in the disobedient. Later in the life of Jesus, he tells his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem to suffer. Peter pulls him aside and is like, no, not going to happen, not to you. And Jesus rebukes him. And do you remember what Jesus rebukes him when he says? He says, get behind me, Peter. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of man. Man and darkness intertwined. And at another point, Jesus is being followed by a group called the Jews, and they refuse to believe in him. And he tells them that they are of their father, 
Abraham? No, no, no. That's their argument. We're of our father Abraham. No, you're of your father the devil. What? Do you see why Jesus got into trouble all the time? At Christ's betrayal, at that last supper, the scripture says that Judas, when he dips his hand to the cup, it says Satan entered him. What? The kingdom of men and the kingdom of darkness. These are examples of people being pawns of Satan. Now, now I think this is important for us just to stop and to just for a minute think about this because there's this deception in the world that says if you're going to live sold out for Jesus Christ, that is a cramped, confined, oppressive life. And you need to break out and you need to be free from that stuff and go see what else is out there in the world. And I just want to tell you by the word of God, by the authority of the word of God, that if, you're, if Jesus Christ is not the savior of your life, the spirit of God is not indwelling in you. You're not free. You're a pawn, according to the word of God. And so when that, that lie, that deception comes into our hearts, in our minds, in our ears, in our eyeballs, I just want you to remember this that the kingdom of men and the kingdom of darkness are intertwined. And so important for us, I think about you young people, and I just want you to know that, right? You're, you're, you're not progressive, you're a pawn. And freedom is never found outside of Christ. But Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. When Herod flies into a rage, and he orders the killing of every boy in Bethlehem two years and, and, and younger. Is that just a guy who's having a bad day? I don't think so. I think evil is absolutely at play. There's this demonic thing happening in Herod. Herod, by the way, was a paranoid, murderous ruler. He murdered his wife and a couple of his children. He's a demonized despot. And I just wonder, when Mary and Joseph get the greeting, highly favored, are they picturing that they would have to face off against a demon-possessed despot? I don't think so. And friends, this is the nasty, true reality of spiritual darkness, killing children. It's a clashing of kingdoms. We live in a world at war. But here's the second thing we see in the story. You probably caught this. It's, it's that God knows how to navigate his people through unexpected troubles. He knows how to navigate his people through unexpected troubles. See, we, we see this in the story that it's both God's sovereign fulfillment of prophecy, right? He moves them here, and it's like, this fulfills that prophecy. He moves them there. That fulfills that prophecy. He moves them there. That's, that fulfills that, that prophecy. It's so like he's sovereignly moving pieces to fulfill the prophecy, and at the same moment, there's a progressive revelation. Magi see a star, and they cross, you know, I don't know how many miles on camel or whatever, and they get there, and then the star disappears, and they're like, where, where, where to go? I don't know, let's go ask these guys. Hey, do you know where the Christ is supposed to be born? 
And that sets off a whole chain event for Herod, right? And then, oh, there, there's the star. There it is. And it leads them and stops over the place where the child is. Progressive revelation, fulfilling sovereign prophecy. We have, uh, we have the, uh, the dreams of Joseph. He, he has this angelic encounter in a dream and he's warned about Herod to go to Egypt which by the way fulfills a prophecy that was spoken hundreds and hundreds of years ago we have Herod in some sort of demonic rage fulfilling a prophecy about Rachel weeping for her children which by the way Rachel died near Rama on her way to Bethlehem and it's like this picture of her, like almost like from the grave, seeing this and just weeping over children. We have another angelic encounter in a dream for Joseph. Dreams must have been his thing. Maybe that's how he heard from God, right? It's like dream, 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 dream. By the way, the Lord speaks to Joseph and not Mary. That's interesting to me. And so in this dream, he says, go back to Israel. Then he gets there and he's like, that's Herod's son. I, I'm, I, I can, I, and so then he has another dream and he goes to Nazareth, and, which by the way, fulfills sovereign prophecy. It's like the story is all over the place. It's like me trying to get like a glass of water in my house. You guys probably are like this. Like I'm a little bit ADD. And I, so I, I get up from my desk go to the kitchen, but on the way to the kitchen, there's something on the floor. And I'm like, oh, I got to fix that. I got to put that in the trash. But then I see that thing I was going to fix earlier. And I'm like, oh, I got to fix that. But I've got to go to the bathroom. And then I get back to my desk. And I'm like, what did I get up for? Oh, I was thirsty. That's what it was, right? That, I just feel like the story is like this. It's like all over the place. And it's like, Jesus' child is like, what town are we in now? What, why are we leaving in the middle of the night again? Who's trying to kill us now? Oh, daddy had another dream, dear. Just come on, you know? But God steers his people in these sovereign and surprising ways. And interestingly, he doesn't stop the trouble from coming. He leads them through the trouble. I just wanna say, don't underestimate God's hand upon the troubles of your life. Troubles are a tool that God knows how to use in us. James said it, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. That's the least compassionate verse in the Bible, right? When you're going through troubles, Consider it a great joy. Why? Because God's hand is on your troubles. And he's going to lead us through it. It also shows us that the one who spoke prophecies hundreds and hundreds of years ago is still speaking today. And what he speaks today will bring what he spoke yesterday to pass. I'll say it again. The one who's speaking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, still speaking today, and what he speaks today will bring what he spoke yesterday to pass. I think that's important for us to remember that. Don't miss his provision 
for the process. Magi bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were gifts for royalty. Oh, and probably super expensive, and they could sell them and use them to finance the journey to Egypt and back to Nazareth. Oh, and by the way, Joseph was a carpenter. Interesting. That's a trade that travels with you wherever you go. God was providing sovereignly in the midst of troubles. And I just wonder if we could just stop in the midst of the freak out of troubles in our life. If we could just stop and, and just see where the Lord's hand is on our troubles, how he guides and he provides. So we have Jesus born into a troubled world. He, he has a traumatic childhood living as a fugitive uh, because he's the true king of the world where the kingdom of men get freaked out by that kind of thing. And so they try to kill him. And we also have the kingdom of darkness that's trying to kill him and stop him. And so we have this clashing of kingdoms. We have moms and dads losing their baby boys in Bethlehem. Trouble everywhere. But here's the thing. Trouble cannot stop the triumphant king. Here's my third point. My shortest point ever in the history of Renaissance Church. It's this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I was thinking about Grogu in The Mandalorian. I know some of you are like, please never quote Star Wars references ever again. Some of you are like, cool, I like, I like that, okay? But Grogu, he's, if you've ever seen The Mandalorian, he's, he's this little you know, green baby Yoda thing, and he's caught in the middle of battles. He's being kidnapped and, and kind of taken from one place to another, and he's like subject to it, but like not harmed by it. He's like healing people along the way and like causing things to float with the force, right? And he's doing all kinds of cool, it's like he's powerful, but he's also in the middle of the troubles. That's the thing about Jesus coming into the world. Literally the word became flesh. The one who was there in the beginning and speaking the creation into existence, right? Is now born into the creation. The one who formed Herod in his mother's womb is now allowing Herod to pursue him, to kill him. I mean, you just can't compete with the creator of the world. We have Satan and his demons, which, by the way, were created as angels in heaven, had pride in their hearts. They fell. They're cast down to the earth. They're in a furious rage because they know their time is short. And they're powerless to really do anything against Jesus because Jesus wins every time. And I just think that's important for us to hear. If you're a person who's gone through troubles, if you're in the midst of troubles, maybe you've not, but you, it, it could come your way. You need to know that Jesus wins every 
time, whatever you're facing, Jesus wins. Whatever troubles you about the world that we live in, I want you to know something. Jesus wins. Jesus said stuff like this. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you know what gates do? Do you have gates at your house? They keep stuff out. So the gates of hell are trying to keep something out, which by the way, is the kingdom of God. (laughs) If you live in a gated community, it's not to make the pizza delivery man's life terrible, right? It's so that the riffraff does not come into your neighborhood, right? You only want the residents there. And he says there are gates of hell, and he says that they will not prevail against the church that he's building, So some people have thought of like the church is the gated community, right? And we're gonna gonna protect this thing because it's so special and we love all these people and we just wanna keep it protected. We have the gates of the church. No, Jesus said, there's no gates on the church. We are the Navy SEALs that are going in to the kingdom of darkness because there's lost people in there and we need to get them out of there. And I think so often it's easy for us to complain about the culture, to complain about the state of things, to complain about politicians, to complain about whatever you know is on your list because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, guess what? Jesus wins every single time. He's gonna win. And when we go to lost people and we begin to tell them with love and compassion and respect about what Jesus has done, some of them are gonna hear that and they're gonna say, Yes, because Jesus said, I'll win that one too. The gates of hell cannot prevail against Jesus. Matthew connects the dots to Hosea's prophecy in verse 15. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's from Hosea 11.1, but your your Bible probably has a little note also to Hosea 2.15. And here's what that one says. It says, there I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. There she, she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. I love that verse because the valley of Achor, Achor means trouble. He says, I'm going to turn the valley of trouble into a gateway of Hope. How in the world does that happen? How does God take trouble and turn it into hope? Well, the the answer is, how did Jesus win? He didn't squelch all the trouble in the world and then like leave in a beam of light. Here's how he won. Colossians 2, 14 through 15. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Jesus triumphed through trouble. He 
he triumphed through the trouble of the cross. And then he turns to us and he says, if you want to follow me, here's what you do. Take up your cross. Take up your troubles. And come after me. Because the cross and the resurrection are a victory flag that waves over our lives and says in big, bright, bold letters, Jesus wins. The valley of Acor has become the gateway to hope. I uh, came across a story. Some of you will know this story. But let me close with this. A young Englishman boarded a ship that would take him from the frontiers of Georgia back to his home in England. He was a zealous young man. He had made a name for himself in college by founding a small group of fellow students that were committed to holiness. He had been invited along with his brother by a British general to Georgia to pastor the local church for soldiers and settlers. But what this young man, um, this, this young zealous man had his heart set on was sharing Christ with Native Americans. But after about six months of trouble and infighting, sickness, he, uh, with his head hung low, boarded the ship to go back home in defeat without ever getting the chance to see one single Native American come to Christ. On the voyage home, the ship met a terrible storm. The young man was now seasick and despairing for his life, trouble upon trouble. But he noticed a group of people sitting at the stern of the boat, serenely and quietly singing hymns and worshiping Jesus. He was struck by the sight as he was, like everyone else, fearing for his life. They had responded so differently than him. And after the storm, he befriended them, began to learn about their group that was called the Moravians. Upon landing back in England, he got invited to hear a reading from a commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Romans. And something clicked for him. And for the very first time, he understood and his heart was strangely warmed. The young man's name was John Wesley. He was the catalyst or a catalyst in the great awakening that swept through England and America and has had ripple effects worldwide. God called him and then he troubled him to redeem him. God will not waste our troubles. He sovereignly uses troubles to redeem us. So let me give us our application and let's pray. Here's, here's the first thing. Don't misinterpret your troubles. Some of you maybe have gone through trouble and you've had anger. I know, anger in your heart towards God. 
But I just want you to remember that there's also a kingdom of men and a kingdom of darkness that are clashing. Laced within your troubles are God's guidance and his provision. He's working something out. The second thing, don't quit on the king because his kingdom comes with troubles. Because Jesus wins in the end. Lastly, if you're in trouble, you can turn to the one who knows all about trouble. Jesus was troubled to bring you peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and He is your peace in the midst of troubles. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.